0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstead, are you sick of the Aaron Rodgers story yet?
2: <laughs> uh, sometimes sometimes, but I am intrigued because I'm still
1: not quite sure how it's going to end. Well, you you, you want to, you, well, I, I, it's it's going to be a train wreck. I mean, so that's what you're, I mean, we, we, we know that there, it's going to be a train wreck one yeah. way or yeah. the other. I, I I do admit that, I mean, yes, it, it's fascinating, and as if you're a Packers fan, of course, you're concerned about this, but the bottom line is the more stuff comes out, the, I'm sorry, the less sympathy I have for this guy. I mean, it's the, I, as a matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet that referred, that kind of references what, you know, Brian D. was talking about a couple minutes ago. I mean, the report yesterday are the the last straw in in breaking the relationship with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and and the the Packers just mistreated Aaron Rodgers I mean they made him the highest paid player in professional football they gave him a huge signing bonus up front they were commit to him but but his 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 nose is out of joint because they drafted a guy who might a couple years from now be his eventual successor oh the horrors of that and now the latest story is Jake Kumrow who is. Who was an undrafted free agent who was, you know, who played for the Packers for a little bit? They they cut him in September. He went on to play six games with the Buffalo Bills, and then they cut him. So I mean, it's not like you're you're dropping the the top receiver, but apparently they didn't consult with Aaron Rodgers before they they moved on from Jake Cumro.
2: Well, he he had been on the radio saying how much he liked Jake, and then like a day later he got cut, and I think
1: that oh was yeah, kind of, oh, oh, kind of oh, a little too deep. Oh, oh yes, it's just so terrible. I, but I, he didn't return any of his paychecks or anything like that. But that's that's kind <laughs> of the that, that's sort of the, the last thing. It's becoming apparent that that Aaron Rodgers wants to be he wants to be the team team owner, and he wants to be the team president, and he wants to be the general manager, and he knows he wants to be the coach, and he wants to be the quarterback. And I guess I'm at this point just... Again, I I think there's two choices. If you can trade him somewhere and get a lot of stuff for him, that's great. Um, Otherwise... Uh, Let him retire, and as I said on my tweet, see how he likes being Mister Shalane Shalane Woodley. You know,
2: (laughs) well, I I understand that, but I also see what it's like having a mediocre quarterback because that's what we're going to have.
1: Well, for a year or two, but he's going to be gone regardless. I mean, it's not like you're talking. See, this is the thing that people lose sight of. He's 37 years old. He'll be 38 years old during the season, and. Tom Brady notwithstanding, most of these quarterbacks, I mean, their their butts don't age like fine wine. That, I understand. That's he just, did just win an MVP. I, I, I understand. Give him all the credit, and he's being paid for that. But <laughs> if you think he's going to be playing at this level, I, I mean, what what does he have? Maybe a year or two at a high level. And, and maybe he'll go on and play another four or five years. But if he's going to be a cancer, again, just... I say move him along and no no sympathy. And interestingly, I've said this before, I mean, I was doing a radio show when we went through the Favre thing and it was about 50-50 Packers fans, Packers are right or Farf right. This to me, my sense is about 90% of the people just, They're ready to go. They're they're ready to go. Move them on. Yeah. Just uh, any event, if you want, Tom Silverstein has a very, very good piece in today's Journal Sentinel that um, just argues exactly the point that I was just making and talks about some of the things that has Aaron Rodgers upset. And um, I have a link to it. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. The note is a great piece on how out of control Aaron Rodgers has become. He's upset with the GM that the Packers cut Jake Cummerle. It's clearly time to either trade him or let him retire and see how he likes being Mr. Chalene Woodley. So you can check that out. All right. Let us get started. If you have not seen this story or seen some of the clips of this, I've got you covered. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Capital Court. Now, Gru, you have no idea what Capital Court is or was. All right. Capital Court, when my, my parents moved here when I was like nine years old. And this is 68 ish. Um, Capital Court was one of the major shopping centers in the area. It was located uh, approximately 57th and Capital. They built Capital Court in like 1960 and it was a thriving shopping center. They had a the, the, the Anchor store was there was a gimbal's, there was a Sears there as well, but they had all sorts of, of other shops. I can remember you know, going shopping there with my parents on a regular basis. And it was a very, because of where it was located, it drew people from the suburbs. It drew people from the city. It was a very, very diverse set of shoppers. And and Capitol Court, it, it was wonderful. They used to have, in the summers, they used to have this like mini amusement park, that was set up in the parking lot and they called it Funland. And I can remember as a kid, you know, we we some of my buddies and I, they, they'd drop us off. We'd hang out at, at Funland and stuff like that. I, I can remember the movie theater. I can remember going to the shows at the movie theater and things like that. Well, Capitol Court hit hard times and ultimately ended up being demolished. And in its place they put up the, the Midtown Shopping Center. I think that was right around 2000. And it has had a, a checkered, it's had its ups and downs. I think that would be fair to say over the course of the last 20 years. And right now, it's clearly in a very, very down time. If you have not seen the story, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Wagner 620 Apparently, what's been happening is some evenings, the, the parking lot at this troubled shopping center is taken over by hundreds of, of people who just hang out, play loud music, drink, do whatever they're going to do, and they're allowed to do it. Well, what happened on Sunday night is gunfire erupted. Now, look, gunfire in the city of Milwaukee is nothing unusual, unfortunately. But in this particular case, it was the amount of it. And there's clips of this. And and of course, Midtown Center, formerly Capitol Court, it's in the middle of of a relatively, of a a residential sort of area. And what happens is, if you haven't heard it, there there were, there, there wasn't just a shot or two. There's like 200, 300, 400 gunshots. It goes on and on. It sounds like you are in the middle of a firefight in Vietnam in 1968. And just shot after shot after shot has a number of this is like 1130 on Sunday night. And it scares the you know what out of a number of the residents in in that area. Now, the the amazing thing about this is that. Apparently, there were only two people that that were injured. So, you know, we don't know what was going on. We don't know if this was people shooting at each other, in which case they're the worst shots in the world, or whether this was just here. We're going to start shooting... You know, shots up in the air. I mean, nobody knows because at least thus far there's been no arrests or anything like that, which raises the other question of how can you have hundreds and hundreds of shots, you know, fired in this particular setting and, you know, nobody coming forward, nobody saying who's responsible, nobody making the the arrests. But it, it scared the heck out of of the neighbors. So. You have the Milwaukee Common Council president, Cavalier Johnson. You know, he comes out and he he gives his statement about it. And, you know, he said, well, you know, this has been going on for a while. We, we put barricades around the parking lot. But on Sunday, apparently, people just moved the barricades out of the way. And they were just allowed to kind of take over the parking lot. And then in his statement, uh, again, the alderman goes on to talk about, you know, how there's been other examples of shooting. And then he says, with continued inaction on guns, Wisconsin is increasingly becoming known for beer, cheese and mass shootings. Oh, oh, okay. With continued inaction on, on guns, which, of course, raises the question of, What more gun laws do do you want to have? I mean, what what more gun laws are there? Because I guarantee you, without thinking too hard, we'd be in a situation where I could probably come up with at least a dozen laws which were violated by the people who, again, you know, turned turned this midtown shopping court into uh, essentially a, a, a war zone on Sunday night. Now, into this, I'm looking at another story. This is from Channel 4. Community activist Vaughn Mays said young adults need an outlet to have fun. And that specific, that specific parking lot at the midtown center becomes a hangout point for them. We need to take some better measures to ensure people's safety and try to give them a space to have fun. It's not a bad thing to have fun, but people should be able to have fun and go home. Okay, (laughs) you should be able to have fun and go home. But well, what about people who are, are taking over this parking lot and who are you know, firing hundreds and hundreds of rounds off at each other or in the air or or whatever, turning it into a war zone? Meanwhile, I, I mean, what do you hear from the community as a general rule? You, you hear crickets. Where where are the protests? You know, where are the activists that are marching, for example, through the, these parking lots, demanding that, hey, we, we've got to stop this sort of violence? From the perspective of the police, apparently they, they sort of took a hands-off approach to this, but in some respects, I can kind of understand that, because you know if they end up going in and trying to break this up, you know that a lot of the usual suspects are going to be, again, on them for trying to, again, break up this stuff and try. to to send people home and say, hey, we've got curfews and this is private property and all those things. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I I guess I I look at this and I I think it's absolutely outrageous. I I mean, I think this is something that clearly... You, you need a police response to, and the police just just have to shut this down and clear the, these lots out. You cannot allow this to happen. But I guess my concern with this is, if the police become more aggressive, you've got a bunch of people who are hanging out, quote-unquote, having fun at 1130 on a Sunday night, and the police move in and clear them out, well, are is the community going to support the cops? or is this going to be an example of overzealous policing and we need to defund the police 8556161620 i mean seriously how many how many people have to get hurt How many and inevitably, if this type of stuff continues, you know what's going to happen. Some bullet is going to go through a window of some neighboring house and somebody is going to get hit. How much of this stuff needs to go on before we say enough is enough? And for all the politicians who are saying, "Okay, this is another example of why, you know, we we need to toughen gun laws fine but what about holding the people who are out there shooting off their guns what about holding them accountable what about prosecuting them what about putting them in jail for a lengthy period of time because you can't have it both ways all right we discuss in just a minute 855-616-1620
0: back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 855-616-1620.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's a couple texts before we go to the phone lines. So Sunday night, I was watching Facebook Live. Most people were having fun dancing and talking. The thing I saw was many young men with guns in their waistband and walking around with them in hand. I saw a guy with a long automatic and some with extended clips. Now, if I saw this at 62 years old on Facebook, you can't tell me that others didn't see it either. Right, which raises... that sort of question about what what's going on here um Jeff sounds like double standards of the new normal are they not trespassing our society is losing sight of you know reality well there there is an element of that that ends up you know going on here um what here's the problem with this though, you know, everybody talks well, you know, we need more laws. We need more this or that. I mean, here's what you need. You know, when you if you've got people wandering around a parking lot with guns in their waistbands, you need the cops to go in. You need the police to make a show of force. You need people to be arrested. My guess is a bunch of the people that are parading around with guns probably aren't legally entitled to own those guns. And then people need to be hauled off and arrested and charged. Well, in Milwaukee, we won't do that. We won't charge the people with the gun crimes. Try getting the DA to do that. If the police Move in and start making mass arrests. You know that there will be protests, right and left, about this problem or that problem. And so we're in a situation where, again, if you live in that neighborhood, you you, you better be putting up hurricane shutters or something. You know, bulletproof glass or whatever, because the community is not protecting you. And we've got an alderman talking about, well, we need more gun laws. Well, okay, that that's fine. But what you need to do is more accountability. 855-616-1620. six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Judy and. Wauwatosa. Hi Judy.
3: Oh hi. This in this traffic thing. Um first I have to say the beginning of your story, I loved Funland and I had my sixth birthday party there. Sure. And they had the fire truck and remember the fire truck? Right. And it's like a little truck and they rode us around in that. And then the Ferris wheel and just the joy and my grandma was a seamstress at Chapman's and I, I went there all the time. Sure. And then the Santa House. You know, right? The cookie, the cookie, the
1: cookie, the cookie, cookie. I remember the cookie, cookie house. Yeah, yeah.
3: sure. Yep, yeah. it was just a fantasy land. And my Grammy lived across the street. My other one, and it just. And my brother worked at the bank. I mean, it just makes me so sad to hear this because, um, this has got to stop like immediately. Our friends of mine laugh at me for living here because it's gotten so bad, and actually one moved away that moved back and then moved away. But there's people that have their families in their homes, and you just drive sure. around, and you see that. And then when someone gets to drive by or get shot at their home, then they'll be all upset. But I just feel like um, it's got to stop right away. Well, you can't just go, oh, no. wow, that's,
1: you know. But, but it, of course, it's been going. I mean, Judy, thanks for calling. And, see, that, that's one of the things that really struck me. now, Because, again, if if your only experience with with this has been been the last five years. And you think of this as kind of this failing shopping center and all. But I mean, again, I, I, I know I'm dating myself, but I can remember when Capitol Court, which is now Midtown Center, w- w- was this thriving place. And like I say, it attracted a diverse group of people, shoppers from from all over. And I, I recognize maybe those days are gone. But that doesn't mean that you just, you know, throw up your hands and say, we're walking away from this. I mean, does it? And that yet, apparently, that, that's what's going on. Marshall on the east side. Marshall, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hello, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm just calling concerning uh, from a African-American uh, point of view. Um, the the yep. people in the city and people that I talk to, they're just really tired of the, this type of behavior and so it really doesn't matter who you are but i'm just saying from our point of view and while police crackdown actually would be wanted the 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 concern i have if something does happen um then it's the police fault the other concern i have is just taking away um you know resources from other parts of the city um or you know reckless driving whatever that does happen mm-hmm. and um while they're uh, t- you know dealing with this and we can't just say well we're going to cut down on gun laws i mean crack down with gun laws because there's also going to be other types of behavior and so it's it's just behavior and i've lived here all my life and on um, what i see is i see a lot of families that uh, you know they're just not functioning, and um, that's where it needs to at the core. Right. Well, Marshall, let me, let, me ask you this
1: from, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Let us assume, okay, so I, I, we got people texting in saying that they were watching this on Facebook, and they saw all these people walking around with guns and, and things of, of the like. And I, I don't know what the, the racial makeup of the crowd was. I guess I'm assuming it was perhaps predominantly African-American, but I don't know that for sure. But but people are watching this on Facebook, and they're seeing all these people walking around with guns and things like that. If there had been a massive police response to clear out the parking lot and starting arrests. The people that had guns. Do you believe the community would have supported that, or would we have had protests about? Oh, this is again example of of police, you know, hassling this group or or that group or whatever.
4: Okay, and I see what, what you're saying. Well, I'm asking, it's a however, question. I it. yeah. yeah, I, I think there would be. However, who the squeaky will is these activists and the the the, the, the minority. And what I'm saying is the majority of people are just sick and tired of it. Yeah. And that's who's going to make the noise. And that's who the Common Comical unfortunately listens to.
1: Yeah. No. Thanks. Well, I mean, I, I, I yeah. I, exactly. Because I mean, I gotta believe that. I mean, I gotta believe. Look, I, I don't care. I, I, don't care whether you're white or black or Latino or wh- whatever. I mean, if if you're living two blocks away from there, and at eleven thirty at night, all of a sudden, you know, you 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 hear this. What's going on? Is that a truck backfire? No, it's not a truck backfiring. It, it, it's it's a gunshot, and it's not just one gunshot. It's not just twelve gunshots. It's hundreds of gunshots. I mean, again, if you haven't seen this these videos, they're they're out there. I, I've got a link to one on on again my, my Twitter account. But it's like it—it it sounds like you're in the middle of a firefight in Vietnam, Jeff. Um, I live two blocks away from Midtown, and they need to stop blaming guns. I'm a legitimate gun holder by law, and I can't understand why they keep talking about gun laws. All they have to do is put up barricades—not the ones a kid can move. Just put up the ones you have to pull down with a f- with a fork truck, like they have on the expressway. Um, you know, nobody's going to solve this otherwise. Go figure. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. One one final thought on the the, the shooting incidents at Midtown Shopping Center, the old Capitol Court. Um, Here's a text. Jeff, as a 70-year-old black man... I know that if the cops had showed up Sunday night and tried to shut it down, there would be protesters marching today. It's such bull. You cannot have it both ways. I am Milwaukee-born and raised. My parents would have beat my butt if I was part of this. By the way, my 90-year-old mom lives near there. Um, I am just sick of this. I'm hearing from a number of people who have relatives who live in that area, and they're they're just, they're, they're moving out. And if you wonder why we have such trouble Trying to, you know, create business development and get businesses to locate in some parts of, of the, this area, and in particular some parts of the city, it, it's stuff, it's stuff like this. Because when it comes to out of control crime and violence, it's not a what came first, the chicken or the egg. I mean, here, here's the bottom line. If you are a business, you are not going to locate your business in an area where violence is out of control. You're, you're just flat out not going to do it. You've got all sorts of choices that that you have and and so, yeah, it's like gee, am I going to open a business in an area where at any given time there might be mass shootings that scare my customers away, put my employees in danger. Uh, you, you're not, you're just flat out not going to do it. So until you get a handle on crime, you're not going to have any effective business development. That's that's, I think, a lesson that we've seen in urban areas for decades and decades. And yet in the city of Milwaukee, all you get is lip service. You have these situations, and we are slightly below last year's pace on homicides, but only slightly below. I mean, violence is just completely and totally out of control. And every time you have one of these shootings, it's you get the lip service, oh, t- too easy availability of guns. Well, it's too easy availability of guns. It, the wrong people have those guns. But as I was saying earlier, in many of these cases, the, the people that have the guns, they're, they're not legally supposed to have the guns anyways. And when they get caught, they're, they're, they're not held accountable. When they carjack people, I'm still... You know, thinking about this carjacking situation that you had last week, we were talking about it on the program yesterday. Where a a guy sitting in a senior living center in uh, in the parking lot of senior living center in Germantown at twelve thirty, he's carjacked at gunpoint, and then the people who did that use that stolen car to drive down and they carjack a woman in Hale's Corners who's waiting in line to for her kids to get out of the parochial elementary school and she gets carjacked at gunpoint. I mean, and again, my guess is when and if they catch the people that did it. It's not going to be their first time at the rodeo, just like my guess is a number of the people who were involved in this mass shooting that miraculously only had two people hurt on Sunday night. It's not their first time at the rodeo either. But if the police had moved in, once everybody they saw on Facebook what everybody saw, which is a bunch of, you know, gun-toting people wandering around this parking lot, you you know it would have broken bad, and you know police would have been the, the victims. Oh, you know, they they they. Used Use tear gas to disperse the crowd or oh they were making these mass arrests and all people were doing was having fun while they're armed to the teeth. Okay. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a believer in vaccines. I, I got I got the COVID vaccine myself. I am perhaps unique because I had no adverse reaction at all. And I, I keep stressing that because I know there's horror stories out there. In, in my case, I had the Pfizer vaccine. My arm wasn't sore. No, no bad reactions at all. And, and now I consider myself to be no pun intended from what our previous conversation was essentially bulletproof. If, if you look at the numbers, uh, your your chances once you have been vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are almost non-existent, and your chances of passing it on to someone else who has also been vaccinated is less than almost non-existent. So you're you're, you're pretty much. Safe to do that. Nevertheless, there are people out there who have made the decision not to get vaccines. Now, I know some of you disagree with me on this, but my point is, now that vaccines are readily available, if you make the decision not to get the vaccine, fine, go with God. But it's time to start releasing, releasing the rest of us from restrictions. I mean, these mask rules, which I find to be onerous. I I wear the mask when it's appropriate, but now people have been vaccinated. As a general rule, if you've decided not to, you are accepting that risk. And I I think it's time to start opening up and getting rid of the capacity limitations and things like that. And I recognize that some of you disagree with me, but we're kind of at this point now where if you decide you don't want to get vaccinated for whatever reason, fine. You now, you know, take the risk that you you might, you know, contract COVID. And hopefully, even if you get it, you're not going to have a bad reaction to it and you'll be sick for a day or two and then you'll get better. Hopefully that's going to be the case. But I think it's time to get back to normal. But nevertheless, I think that the more people who make the decision to get the vaccination, you know, the better it, it's going to be. But I'm not going to force you that. I understand there's some people who just don't believe in vaccinations. There's some people who think that this was rushed. There's some people who are concerned that we don't know enough about this and there might be long term implications. And yes, the guy on the radio Jeff Wagner is saying he's had no reaction to this. But you know, who knows, you know, two years down the line his immune system might be completely screwed up. Now I don't think that's the case. And I, I I, I get it, that there's that attitude that's out there. So here's the deal: if we accept the fact, and experts are now starting to say this, that we're not going to get to herd immunity because eighty per seventy-five or eighty percent of the people in this country aren't going to get vaccinated. Maybe you can get fifty-five, sixty, maybe sixty-five percent, but you're not going to get to that herd immunity. So now people are starting to say, okay, are there ways that we can increase? The likelihood that people will get vaccine so the governor of west virginia his name is jim justice he said here's the deal we will give young people a bond of 100 if they get an indoctrination if they get a shot if they get an inoculation they'll, they'll get a, a bond from the state of west virginia for a hundred dollars um, UCLA is doing the study. They've interviewed 75,000 people over the last 10 months. And what they find is telling people that, Hey, if you get the vaccine, you know, you're going to be safer, that 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 really doesn't move the needle. If you say to people, Hey, if we gave you a hundred bucks, you know, would that make you more likely to get the vaccine? And not surprisingly, about 35% of people say, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line in the name of public safety. For people who haven't gotten the vaccination yet, should we offer them a hundred bucks, whether it's in the form of a savings bond or a state bond or just, you know, five twenties? Should the taxpayers be paying people to get vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. As somebody who believes you should get vaccinated, I I think it's a good idea to get vaccinated. Do I think we should have to bribe people to do it? My answer is not just no, but heck no. We discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show is back. It's a car enthusiast's paradise featuring hundreds of the latest cars and trucks. We take you inside Wisconsin State Fair Park for all the sights, the sounds, and the smells. Tune in this Wednesday, May 5th, for a special Wisconsin's Afternoon News with the Greater Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon with 100 bucks make you get your vaccination, and should we give other people that?
4: Well, I got it anyway, and that reminds me of a teacher who would give rewards to students who follow along in class, do their homework, and do things that they should be doing anyway. And I'm really not a fan of that, and I would rather that people who don't want to get vaccinated experience the consequences for not doing so and be motivated in that way.
1: Right. Right. I, I mean, I agree. It's thanks. for. I mean, look, it, it's it's a choice. And I'm getting all sorts of texts from people. And I, I I respect this opinion. I don't share it. But if if you've made the decision for whatever reason that you don't want to get the vaccination, I I, I respect that. I, again, I don't share it, but I, I respect that position. But this idea that we now have to have the government bribe people to either reverse their conviction, if it's a legitimately held conviction that, hey, I don't want to get the vaccine or bribe them to get them to do the right thing if, gee, you know, I'd, I otherwise I, I'd be inclined to get the vaccine. I'm just too lazy or whatever to go out and make arrangements to do it. I'm um, sorry. I don't buy it. Jeff, I don't think we should have to bribe people to get the vaccine. And what I also don't understand is if someone is refusing to get the vaccine because of strong concerns about it for medical reasons, political reasons, religious reasons, or even just general dis- Trust of it, then how do they suddenly set all that aside and sell out for a hundred bucks? If they do, it doesn't sound like they were so strong in their convictions against it in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong on this. I, I think, and, and we were kind of kidding around a week or two ago um, about. A, a number of businesses remember they, they were offering you free stuff. If you, there, there was the Krispy Kreme donut thing that if if you went in and showed your vaccination card, they'd give you a free Krispy Kreme donut. And there was uh, Black Husky Brewing that was saying if you go in and you show your vaccination card, they'll give you a free beer. And there there were other things like this. And I was kind of joking around that we should um, get a. Designate a driver and take a couple of the radio personalities from here and we should go on like a freebie stuff that that to me is is different you know if businesses want to do it as number one an incentive to get people to to get their vaccinations but also as a marketing tool or something like that that that's fine but that's a private business making that decision that's different than the government saying, okay, we're now in a position where we're going to pay people. And and what about the people, what are we close to now, like 55, you know, approaching like 55 maybe 60 percent of people who've had at least one shot well what about all those of us who've gotten our shots are we now the chumps i mean look I, i'm not at this point in my life and i don't know about you but i'm not at this point in my life where i just kind of like turn up my nose and say don't give me a hundred bucks i mean if what if, for those of us who have done quote unquote the right thing if you believe getting vaccinated is the right thing to do okay so now the people that have held out we're gonna we're going to pay them to do this jeff well of course the government's bribing people to get the vaccine the more people they can get microchipped the better by the way i'm totally kidding about this jeff my employer gives an extra day of vacation once fully vaccinated again that's that's the private sector i can i i can respect that i think Again, I, I had no significant adverse reactions to the to the vaccine. Um, but I mean, a number of my colleagues, you know, they, they they took the day off after they got the second dose because they all had some minor sort of reactions. And I don't even think we charge people a sick day for doing that. I think the the general policy was because because again, my employer wants to encourage people. They're not mandating vaccinations, but they want to encourage people who've, who 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 have done that. Jeff, I'm a healthy younger adult who's already had COVID. I'm choosing not to get it. No one should have to bribe me to make. Them get it. Well, yeah, that's, um, You know, that's it. Jeff, I think if we were going to do this, we should have tied uh, vaccinations into the stimulus checks. Can you imagine the screaming about that? Jeff, my tax dollars have gone to many things that only benefit me remotely, like public schools. I never had children, never needed rent assistance, never needed food stamps. Um, I was fortunate to have a good paying job. I held for 30 years, Um, never minded the taxes. Same with the vaccine. If it helps us as a whole, it's okay with me. And by that, I mean, that I think is it I'm okay with a hundred dollars of my tax dollars use it going to to bribe some of my fellow citizens who could get the vaccination for free but otherwise refused to do that without the 100 bucks sorry i'm i'm just you know i'm i'm just i'm not there that's I, i'm just not um no the government should not pay people to get shots i made the decision to get my two shots people who don't want the shot made that decision it was their choice and i would add that then you just kind of live with with the consequences jeff uh, no way um but i should say that i'm the one that thinks the government should issue id cards and then you should show the card everywhere you go which opens up a entirely new you know can of worms on this bottom line is we're now recognizing that this promise of herd immunity was never was never we were never going to hit it and some of us were saying that that all along so we're trying to encourage more people to get vaccinated I'm all in favor of trying to encourage people to do that. But the idea of the government having to pay people to do, again, quote, unquote, the right thing. Sorry, I just don't think that's an appropriate use of taxpayer dollars. Back with much more in just a couple minutes, including can you trust the media for anything anymore? I'll tell you the story. Live from the
0: Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff
1: Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Oh, we're just warming up. If the media cared about its credibility, there's one simple thing that they would start doing and they're not willing to do it. What is that one thing? They would stop using anonymous sources. Now, th- there's been an interesting thing playing out over the course of the last couple days I- involving a national story that The Washington Post, The New York Times, NBC News, CNN, and everyone else got wrong in a big way. If you haven't been following this and you follow me on Twitter, at Wagner 620 I've got a link to this story. It involves, it involves Rudy Giuliani. Now, Rudy Giuliani, I've told this story before. I, I met... um I was in the U.S. Attorney's office in Milwaukee when Rudy Giuliani was the the crime-busting um, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York back in the '80s. And interestingly, it's now that office that he headed back in the '80s that, that's now in- investigating him for various stuffs. Stuff, stuff. The, the the word ironic comes to mind. I, I, I always back in the day I, I liked Giuliani. He had a reputation as being a grandstander, but I, I thought he did a great job as the mayor of New York City. And I think his his belief that you know little stuff matters and the broken windows thing, and we've got to clean up the city, and we, we've got to get the prostitutes off the street, and we've got to clean up Times Square, and we, we've got to care about the little things. I think that led to the renaissance in New York, and as we've talked about recently, New York is now going the other way. New York has said we're we're, we're not prosecuting prostitutes, you know, so it's, you know, that, that that's... Wonderful, I I guess. But you think if you think that's going to add to quality of life and make it a more attractive place for tourists to come, I think New York is going to be um, very, very badly mistaken. But anyhow, you know, Rudy Giuliani went on and in the last few years. He's kind of gone off the deep end. And I, I think. That's kind of my sense. And I understand there's some people who just, just absolutely love Rudy Giuliani. But he became kind of the, not just the lawyer for former President Trump, but also kind of the, the mouthpiece. And he's been all over making all sorts of, I, I think in some respects, wacky claims that he could not support. And why he's gone so far off the deep end, I, I don't know. but But that's just kind of where he is. But nevertheless... That, that doesn't mean that every crackpot allegation against him I- is true. And it doesn't mean it needs to be embraced by the mainstream media. But because places like the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC News and CNN, because they hate Donald Trump and because they loathe anybody that supported Trump, much less Rudy Giuliani, they are in a hurry to believe the worst and to report the worst. So so here's the story. Last Wednesday or Thursday there were the first story was in the Washington Post, and then the New York Times jumped on it, and then NBC News picked it up and all that. And the story was that back in twenty nineteen the FBI warned warned Rudy Giuliani that um he was part of this that that the Russians were leaking false information to him in an effort to try to undermine Joe Biden. And, and the story was here um, that Giuliani and One America News, which is like one of the conservative news outlets, they were contacted by the FBI and said that uh, they were a target of a Russian influence operation. Now, the why, the reason the FBI would do something like that is, first of all, to, to warn the person that hey you know you're, you're getting you know bogus information from from the russians but also they, they call these defensive briefings and when the fbi does this part of it is to alert people that they're being targeted but part of it is also to potentially set them up for prosecution because when they tell them that they then you know use this to quote unquote see how the person's being told Responds, And then they say, you're, you're now on notice. So we've told you that, you know, you're you're being targeted by this Russian intelligence operation. So now you're on notice that that's out there. And if you, you know, do something after this, now we're going to be able to prove intent. So it's there's there's a calculated thing that the FBI does when they do this. Again, part of it is to warn people, but also part of it is to set that person up for potential prosecution down the line. So it's a big deal if you got the briefings. And the Washington Post runs with this, and NBC News runs with this, and the New York Times runs with this. Well, it's all well and good, but it's a huge story. Rudy Giuliani, One American News, briefed that they were they were put on notice, that they were targets of this Russian intelligence operation. Great headline story. And, of course, it plays into all the anti-Trump stuff and things like that. Only one problem with it. It's BS. It's, it's not true. It's not true. All right, here's the way the Washington Post reports on this. Now, all these news organizations have now retracted this claim. And there's a story here, um, and I've got a link to it, uh, again on on, uh, my Twitter account, how three major news organizations all got a story about Rudy Giuliani wrong. Incorrect information from government sources apparently led three separate news organizations to publish the same erroneous claim about Rudy Giuliani last week. The Washington Post the New York Times and NBC News all reported Thursday that the FBI had briefed Rudy Giuliani... Um, that he was a target of a Russian disinformation campaign during his efforts to dig up unflattering information about Joe Biden. In fact, the news organizations later said in corrections that Giuliani had not been briefed on this. Uh, the three news organizations were reluctant on Monday to discuss their sources and reporting methods. In the correction, NBC said the incorrect claim about Giuliani was based on a source familiar with the matter. But the second source now says the briefing was only prepared for Giuliani, but not delivered to him. In other words, that somebody had worked something up, but nobody actually gave it to him, which is a really, really big difference. The Washington Post, which was the first to present the briefing claim, originally cited several current and former U.S. officials and people familiar with the matter as the sources of the information it later retracted. The Washington Post claimed that they had several current and former U.S. officials and people familiar with the matter who provided this information, all of whom now apparently were wrong. Um, The New York Times, they say, we got scooped by the Washington Post. And so we weren't rigorous uh, enough as they were scrambling to publish something after the Post had it. Um, The editor of the New York Times says, well, um, you know, we, we we were trying to you know, independently verify the post story. We need to grill sources more to make sure we understand exactly what they're confirming. Um, dealing with anonymous sources and law enforcement is always hard. So th- they got it wrong. Now, look, Rudy Giuliani's still got problems. I mean, the U.S. Attorney's Office executes a search warrant a- at his place. So there's all sorts of issues out there, and I don't know where this is going to go. But I do know that the story, and it's a big story, w- was wrong. And and it's a story that trashed Giuliani. It's a story that trashed the the news network, One America Now. It's a story that had implications about like Ron Johnson. There were some implications about that that now I don't think are actually panning out as well. But they got it wrong. Now, number one, they got it wrong because they wanted it to be right. They wanted. Oh, this is a big deal, Rudy Giuliani. This is this is what he's going to get indicted for because he was told by the FBI, "Don't do this. You're being used as a tool of the Russian government." And then he continued to go on and, and say things. That that that's what the implication of this was. That's wrong. Number one, they wanted it to be right because they wanted to trash Rudy Giuliani. But number two, they. they what does this say about their sources? They have refused to identify the sources that gave them the incorrect information that trashed Giuliani. And it's this reliance on these, um, again, the, these anonymous sources. Yeah, this is somebody told me this, but we're not going to make them go on the record. We're not going to make them stand up. We're not going to make them identify themselves, but we're going to put our credibility behind them. So people are going to want to believe this story. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, to me, that this... The, the, obviously, the obvious point of this is, is the pervasive media bias that's out there. But that's, you know, that, that's too easy. I mean, if, if you want to argue that there's not media bias, sorry, I'm not with you on this one. You know, but, but the larger point here is the fact that this reliance on, on anonymous sources, people who aren't willing to identify themselves, come forward and stand behind the claims that they are making. To me, that's that's the problem. And then when you have these, again, whether they, they dupe the, the reporters, whether it's a story that's too good to be true or whatever, you end up with these stories that are absolutely false. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The media wonders why people don't trust it. And I think one of the big reasons is this reliance on anonymous sources. And it seems to me that if you're going to publish a story trashing somebody and you've got a source that's out there trashing them, you shouldn't do it unless that person's willing to come forward and say, "Okay, look, this is what I know. This is who I am. This is where my information comes from. Otherwise, I just don't flat out think it's reliable. And I think if the media wants to gain credibility, they would stop with this reliance on the so-called anonymous sources or in a case like this, multiple anonymous sources who are all 855-616-1620. Wrong. 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Amazingly, the mainstream media has managed to make Rudy Giuliani a sympathetic figure. All right, we discuss. Anonymous sources. Do you trust the media and this reliance on people who aren't willing to come forward and identify themselves? How big a problem is that? We discuss.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Ooh. 855-616-1620. That's the at mortgage talk and text line. Look, I, I, Rudy Giuliani is probably still in all, in all sorts of trouble. You know, you, you never want to have the FBI showing up at your place at six o'clock in the morning and conducting a search warrant. All I'm saying is this was a major, mistake by the mainstream media that contributes to the fact that, again, this is one of the reasons why large sections of this country don't trust the media. And they've only themselves to blame when they rely on anonymous sources. Now, somebody's texting me saying, oh, Donald Trump lied for four years. Okay politicians say stuff, the media is supposed to be the fact checker. It's the media that's out there that's supposed to say, "Okay, this claim is accurate or this claim is inaccurate. It's when they take off that we're going to be objective hat and say we're going to be advocates. That's where you have the problem that's there. And as long as the media relies on anonymous sources and is not held accountable for that, you're going to have this stuff continue. Let's talk to uh, Tim in Medford. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi Jeff. Hi.
2: The question I have for the, this is when the New York Times, the Post, and all that, when they finally issue a retraction, saying you know, uh, sorry folks, we got it wrong. Do they make as much fanfare as the initial story itself, or do they kind of, as an example, print their retraction on the back of a coupon good for two bucks off at Starbucks and then insert it in the paper saying we corrected ourselves? Well,
1: yeah, that, that's it. I mean, for example, I'm looking at I'm looking at the story that. Um, I'm looking at the the story that, that did the correction in the Washington Post. And, and what they did is they published this and then they add a paragraph. The, the original, the, the, the original story is still up there, but now it's got a correction at the top, you know, like a one paragraph correction. But again, it's, it's like, okay, so if you saw that first story and you didn't see the correction, that, that, that's, that's what you know. And it, so it's very, very frustrating. To my knowledge, I don't think CNN has corrected it, um, because they kind of, they apparently well we relied on the New York po- New York Times or The Washington Post or whatever. So it's not our mistake. Now give me a break.
2: <laughs> well there's another point to that too. I used to do reporting a few years ago, but now, now I do factory work because it's more honest. <laughs> and one are things though <laughs> but one of the things I remember back when back in the days when when I was younger and we yeah. did reporting, if somebody scooped us scooped us for either the TV station or the radio stations that I worked for, you could not report it as Sources say just simply repeating your story. You had to go out and find your own source to confirm it. And right. nowadays, if one major outlet reports it, everybody else piles on. And to me, that's not reporting; that's
1: gossip. Well, it, exactly. Th- thanks for call. And you know, it, it's interesting. Like this, this story where they're breaking down how this happens. The The New York Times is at least upfront about how it screwed up. The New York Times is in competition with the Washington Post, so the Washington Post has this explosive story. And so you you know, in the newsroom, they're yelling at the reporters, well, we, guys, we just got our butt scooped by the Washington Post. You, you've got to get this. And so there's this incredible pressure on there to find their own, quote unquote, independent sources. So there's this rush. They're assuming that this is accurate. They're under well, the Washington Post reporter. It has to be true. So they're not asking the right questions or they're not asking the right people or, or whatever. And it ends up again, you get one story after another that ends up being false. And I, look, I don't I don't. You know, Rudy Giuliani's kind of on his own. Rudy Giuliani, I think, ha- has hurt himself definitely over the years. But but this this is, is a more fundamental problem, and it happened during the Trump era. And I understand there's people out there who just hate President Trump. I, I get it. But what happened was you, you had this mainstream media that I think in many respects put aside the, the journalist hat and recognized we're under economic pressure. First of all, the reporters loathed Donald Trump they loathed Donald Trump. So Trump could do no no right. Secondly, in an era where fewer and fewer people are buying newspapers, and the, the whole news watching scene is, is much more diversified, what happened is with like the New York Times and the Washington Post, they realized by pandering to the anti-Trump crowd that, that they could they could sell subscriptions. They could get clicks. And so that's why you had this, you know, anything Trump did was bad. Anything anybody who liked Trump did was bad. And, and by the way, a lot of it was. I, I, I understand that. But it was just this complete we're all in on this. And now the problem is that gravy train has kind of ended because there's, all right, now Now it's Biden's turn. We're not going to be anywhere near as critical about Joe Biden because we like Joe Biden and we support a lot of the things that he's supporting. So we're, we're not going to be anywhere near as critical. And m- maybe the stuff he does is not as chaotic as Trump is, so they're they're struggling. Okay, so how do we continue to keep people subscribing or clicking or whatever? Well, okay, we we have to still we have to find this explosive stuff, and yeah, maybe we can still get some mileage out of the Rudy Giuliani story. So here, let let's do it, and and then they rush with it. But the underlying fundamental problem to me is this reliance on anonymous sources. You know, nobody having the guts to stand up and, and say this. And and if they've got somebody, a former governor government official, who knows that Rudy Giuliani you know, got got an FBI briefing in this particular example. All right, th- they shouldn't run with it unless that guy's willing to go on the record. Yes, Jeff Wagner, who was number three guy at the FBI, said, yeah, th- this is what happened with Rudy Giuliani. A- and then then you can at least judge the credibility of, it. oh, gosh, this is the guy's coming from the guy who was number three in the FBI or whatever. But if people don't have the guts to come forward and say this... Well, then, how can you rely on them? And you're seeing this, you know, time and time again, and this is the most recent example, where you get this information that is inherently unreliable. And if the mainstream media wonders why it is that, that people hold journalists in so little regard, or at least some people do, it's, it's stuff like, like this. And maybe if if there was any degree of soul-searching, maybe you'd have, like, some of these big news organizations which would say, you know, maybe we've got to dial back the anonymous sources. And, and maybe even if it means that we're at risk of getting scooped from somebody else, maybe what we need to do is go and, and just say, look, unless somebody's willing to tell us something and then stand by it, we're, we're, we're not going to run with this, and we'll have to try to figure out another way to get the information. People are saying, can Rudy Giuliani sue? He, he can. But he's a public figure. It's very, very difficult to prove. You have to prove actual malice. It's very, very difficult to collect. And and candidly, like like I say, Rudy Giuliani's got a lot of baggage. I don't know that he's necessarily the guy that's going to be making the most successful claim. But that doesn't mean that that he wasn't trashed. And it doesn't mean it couldn't happen to somebody else.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: There are heroes among us who run towards danger rather than away from it. We call them first responders. WTMJ is partnering with Waterstone Bank, IndyCar Rev Group, Grand Prix at Road America, and Heiser Automotive. We're honoring police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families and our loved ones. If you know of a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties, text the word SERVICE. To the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line at 855-616-1620 or go to WTMJ.com. The deadline for your submission is this Friday, May 7th. It's Waterstone Bank. Salute to service on WTMJ. All right. A couple weeks ago, the city of Milwaukee was considering... Tightening up its restrictions with regard to the the number of people that can be in businesses and things of the like, Um, they'd actually sort of created a they were thinking about creating a a new category, which um, like a category five, which would. Um, again, r- restrict the amount of people could be in a business, they ultimately decided not to do that. So so right now, the way it is, if you have a, a business, if you have a business plan, um, if you do not have a safety plan, 50% of capacity, um, businesses with approved plans are allowing up to 100% capacity. Um, so it, it's they're starting to reopen, but there's still all sorts of restrictions that are in place. I went to a um, couple weeks ago Saturday, had a wonderful meal at a prominent Milwaukee restaurant that I hadn't been into in a year, and it actually kind of just broke my heart when you walked into the restaurant because they, they were operating with a skeleton staff. There were, I would say, maybe a third as many tables in the restaurant as there, there were normally and there normally would be, and the the menu was limited and stuff, and it was still a wonderful meal, but I I kept thinking, okay, how is this restaurant going to stay in business? Because obviously they're kind of in this survival mode, just trying to hang on because they're, they're not allowed to open up. I bring this up because yesterday, interesting developments on the East Coast. New York and New Jersey and Connecticut have now announced that they are essentially ending all COVID restrictions on businesses. um, Connecticut has announced that uh, beginning May 19th, so two weeks from now, they are eliminating all restrictions on business except for indoor masking requirements so you know if if you 've got a, a bar or a restaurant, you can now operate at a hundred percent capacity. Um, the only rule is you, you people are going to have to you know wear masks. New York City and New Jersey announced yesterday that they are lifting. Almost all capacity limits on businesses. Capacity limits will end May 19th for New Jersey and New York retail stores, restaurants, gyms, amusement parks, salons, barbershops, offices, museums and theaters, including Broadway businesses will be limited only by social distancing measures, which requires patrons to be kept six feet apart. So they are essentially saying, all right, we're, we're done. You still, they're gonna have the indoor mask rules, but Broadway shows, okay, you you can open up. You know, restaurants, you can open up. And as long as you figure out a way to maintain the social distancing, boom, we're, we're, we're back to normal. And you will have to wear a mask inside for the foreseeable future, which is still another story, but, but they're opening up. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if Connecticut is doing it, and New York is doing it, and New Jersey is doing it, and, of course, other states have done it a long time ago, whether it's Florida or Georgia or Texas. All right, if we are now at a point where places like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut are willing to say, it's time to just do away with any sort of capacity restrictions at all. Is it time Is it time for us to do that in Wisconsin? And I understand right now that there's limitations. Local communities have these different rules that are in place. Some communities have them, some don't. But is it time to say, time to end the restrictions, let's get back to business? And if it's good enough largely for Connecticut and New York and New Jersey and Florida and Georgia and Texas – Should it be good enough for Wisconsin? If in Texas it's okay to have 40,000 people go to watch the Texas Rangers at the baseball stadium in Arlington, why shouldn't? We allow 40,000 people to go to Miller Park and watch the Brewer, Miller Park, American Family Field, and, and watch the Brewers. 855 616 That's the accident mortgage talk and text line. And by the way, that's a rhetorical question. I think it's time to get back to normal. I think it's time to open things up. I think it's time to let people make the decisions. If you don't feel comfortable going out, I understand that. Go with God. But more and more states are doing it. It's time to just simply say, time to get back to normal. Isn't it? 855-616-1620, we discuss.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think we've now reached the point, and, and this isn't a discussion of masks or not, but I, I now think we've reached the point where people are ready to get back to normal people feel comfortable being in groups last night my uh my wife's granddaughter went went through her her, it it was the confirmation proceedings and so we were at a relatively large catholic church um out uh, in the west side of town and the 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 church was was full i mean the, the the church the church was was full now you know the families were sitting in different pews and things like that and they did ask people to wear masks and most of them wore masks during the course of the ceremony but but the church was the church was full and i have to tell you i did not feel uncomfortable now of course i'm sitting, you know, in the pew with members of my family or my, you know, immediate family or uh, things like that. But, you know, right in front of me, there's another pew pew that's filled with, you know, people who are, you know, not my family, who I don't know. I did not feel uncomfortable at all in that setting, partly because, again, I've been vaccinated. I consider the chance of me getting sick again to be extremely remote. And there's almost a non-existent chance of me passing it on to someone else who's also been vaccinated. So I felt like we're, we're protected felt perfectly comfortable with that. I've been to three baseball games at American Family Field this year and and yes, they've they've got people that are spread out. In in the row we're in, it's my buddy and I and there's like two other people at the other end of the row. Now it's nice I, I guess because you don't have people climbing all over you, you know, in the middle of an inning when there's action going on to run to the bathroom or whatever. But at the same time, would would I feel uncomfortable if again, you know, we're, we're sitting next to other people and the answer would be no, I think we're ready to get back to normal and to go out in public. Now, it might be that people are uncomfortable with that, or at least some people are and I respect that, in which case my response would be, well, if you don't feel comfortable being around crowds, well, don't be around crowds. That that's that's fine. Nobody's going to hold a gun to your head and say, "Hey, you got to go to State Fair." Nobody's going to hold a gun to your head and say, "Hey, you have to go watch the Brewers." Nobody's going to hold a gun to your head and say, "You've got tickets to watch the Packers, whether Aaron Rodgers is playing or not next September." That that you have to go. If if you don't feel comfortable, stay home. I respect that. Go with God. No problem with that. But I think for a lot of us, we're we're ready. And if you talk about following the science, there's no reason not to do it. And now. You're starting to see people in, again, New York State, New Jersey, Connecticut, states that are the, the reliable blue states are, are now saying, hey, we're going to follow the same course that the red states have been following for a while. The Georgias, the, um, uh, the Georgias, the Floridas, the Texas. And this is what they're, um, doing. Jeff, if it's not time for like the city of Milwaukee, to start um, lifting the capacity restrictions. Why did I get my vaccine shot? For those who do not want to get vaccinated, that's their decision, and that's on them. But we are getting to the point where most everyone who wants one can get the shot. I think it is time to move on, which I think that's it. Jeff, to your question, my answer is yes and yes. It's time to get back to normal. Now, admittedly, in, in New York we're uh, unlike Connecticut in New York where they 're still going to have like that six foot restriction between tables that 's probably going to limit you from getting back to one hundred percent capacity that 's probably going to be some sort of a limitation, but they 're starting to get rid of that it 's no more no more limits on capacity. Let us get back to normal let 's recognize that we have turned the corner in this and also understand that the goal was to flatten the curve. We have flattened the curve time to get back to our life, and if it's okay for New York, and it's okay for Connecticut, and it's okay for New Jersey, and it's okay for Florida, and it's okay for Georgia, and it's okay for Texas, maybe this should be the general default mode in Wisconsin as well. Back with more in just a minute. So you think you're having a bad day? Well, let me tell you the story of Democratic Michigan State Representative Jewel Jones. All right, now Jewel Jones was arrested on April sixth, um, taken into custody after crashing his SUV down um, on the side of of the road. Um, when when the police respond to the car crash, um, he was found with his pants down in the vehicle with a woman. Um, let's see. Well, here's here's the the, the exact description. Um, he was holding up a female passenger near the passenger side door of the vehicle. Paramedic on scene had observed the women woman's pants were down and Jones's pants were partially down, according to the report. The woman was eventually placed in an ambulance after it was determined she was unable to stand on her own, had vomited, and was essentially non-responsive. While emergency personnel administered care to the female, Jones identified himself and the woman as people of importance. Where have we heard that in Wisconsin? Don't you know who I am? The lawmaker also requested that EMS bring the woman home or assist with getting her inside of his vehicle so he could drive her home himself. At the time, paramedics also observed several indicators that Jones himself was intoxicated, including his behavior, slurred speech, and the odor of alcoholic beverages. It was later revealed that Jones had a blood alcohol content level of more than 0.17, which is twice the legal limit. All right, it gets gets better. So the guy gets arrested. He's in the car with this woman who's blind, drunk, you know, her pants are down. His pants are partially down. They've, they've kind of crashed the car. The police show up. And then, then the state representative decides he wants to have a discussion with the police. He apparently warned the authorities as so they were arresting him that the, the governor of Michigan, who's kind of the controversial governor, Gretchen Whitmer, um, he, he refers to her as Big Gretch. He warns them that Big Gretch is going to be coming after them if they didn't allow him to wear a face mask during the booking photo. You know what? Big Gretch is the homie, he said in a video. When she finds out about this, she might be a little bit upset about the treatment I'm getting. She's very serious about the pandemic, so I'm just wondering if I can wear the mask while you're trying to take the booking photo of this. Um, He apparently also then goes on to talk about how, let's see, I run your budget, he tells the state troopers. When I call Gretchen, I'm going to need your ID and badge numbers. I'm going to need everything. Huh. Okay. Now, this does, so, I mean, if you you think you're having a bad day, uh, all I can tell you is, well, okay, you just didn't get arrested, you know, after, after wrecking your car. And, you know, you just didn't get dragged in and, you know, you didn't get in a situation where you were refusing to pull down your mask for your booking photo, but saying that you really didn't have to do that because, well, the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Big Tone, Big Tony, he's a, he's a fan of, my, I'm a, we're, we're homies. We're close to each other. So, um, You know, go figure. That's how that kind of all turns out. Um, An update on, again, as we're talking about the whole coronavirus situation, you know, an update. I'm hoping they're able to pull off Summerfest. I I really am. Summerfest is scheduled for the end of September or the early part of September over three separate weekends. And and part of the problem, of course, even, even if you you know increase the capacity limits part of the problem for something like Summerfest is it is it's the world's largest or one of the world's largest music festivals which means you you have to have music you have to have entertainers that are out on the road and one of the problems is more and more of the big entertainers including people that have been booked to perform at Summerfest they they're canceling their tours for the summer of 2021 as we have talked about before what happens a lot of times, it, tours aren't just a one-off. If you have a successful musician, the Rolling Stones just don't decide, hey, we're going to go play Milwaukee Summerfest. What they do is they, they have tours. We're going to, we're in Detroit one day. We're in Chicago the next. Two days later in Milwaukee. Day after that, we're in Minneapolis. Then we go to Denver. That, that's how they make their money. It's, you know, you're, you're out on the road as opposed to just like a one-off thing because it costs so much to stage the tours. Well, so if you don't have a lot of these venues in a lot of different states that are open in full capacity, what happens is the the performers don't go out on on tour. That's just kind of the reality. And that's the problem I think a lot of these venues are addressing. Some of these performers are starting to go back on a limited basis. And I do think you're gonna start to see some concerts Particularly towards the latter part of the summer, but just a lot of the shows they're 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 not coming back right now, or at least they're not coming back in a big way. And even some of the shows that are coming back, they're coming back in a limited capacity. And as we've talked about before, also it's tough for a venue to make money. You know, if you're you've got to pay X amount of dollars, if you if you've got to pay a million dollars to a band to perform at an amphitheater, but you can only sell half the tickets to the amphitheater, it it just doesn't make dollars and cents. To do that. Well, the latest news um, is that uh, Justin Bieber, who was booked for Summerfest, he's another one who's just saying, I'm, I'm not going to go out on tour in 2021. We're postponing the tour to 2022. And again, it, it's. You understand why the performers are doing it, but it becomes more and more of a problem. I have to tell you, I think one of the toughest jobs right now in Milwaukee is Bob Babish's job of of trying to book entertainment, because you just, you don't know what's out there. It's tough to book these things. You don't know if the bands are going to be there. You don't know how many people you're going to be allowed to let on the grounds. But to me, the biggest challenge right now to an event like Summerfest isn't, can you have enough people to have a critical mass? It's do you have enough big bands, big entertainment, that's going to be able to attract people? I really hope that they're able to pull it off. Just don't know. The jury's still out. Back with much more in just a minute. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now,
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, this is a great story. It is your chance to play Supreme Court Justice. Okay, Here, here is the deal. There's well-settled law in the United States Supreme Court that you, you have a right to possess a, a firearm. You know, you have the right to bear arms. And that, you know, when it, when it comes to keeping firearms in your own home, as long as they're legal, you legally own them, I mean, you have the right to do it. Um, that's called, a case called U.S. versus Heller, which went to the Supreme Court. The District of Columbia had this rule that said that you couldn't, you couldn't have guns in, in your house. And the Supreme Court said, no, that's not the case. All right. So here's the story. And I'm curious as to how you're going to react to it. It's a decision that just came out from the state Supreme Court. I'm going to summarize this, but, um, you, you have a, a guy in Dane County, and long story short, he, he lives in an apartment with a couple other guys, and apparently he and one of the other guys, they, they have issues from time to time, and they're all drinking one night a couple of years ago. Uh, they're all they're all drinking, and at one point in time, the, in this case, well, the defendant, his name is Mitchell Christen, at one point in time, he, he grabs... Uh, his handgun that they owns and he puts it in his waistband and he, he kind of goes up and depending on who you listen to, he sort of, he gets in the face of his roommate and a couple other people that are there, but these guys are drinking. And what happens is the roommate kind of pushes him and takes the gun away from him. All right. Then, then everybody, a couple people leave, everybody's drinking more. What happens then is this, this Mitchell Kristen, he, um, Goes he? They've taken his one gun away. He retreats to his room. He grabs a shotgun, cocks the shotgun, calls nine one one, and says, "Hey, my my roommate just robbed me." Cetera, et cetera. All right. So again, we'll we'll cut through some of the stuff. But nine one one comes out. The cops come out, and ultimately they do the investigation. He goes out, and and they find that that he, Mitchell Kristen, is intoxicated. You know so he's carrying guns while he's drunk, and he's doing that in his own apartment so in Wisconsin, there is a law which says that you are not it's a misdemeanor you're not able to you're not legally allowed to carry a gun while you're you're drunk okay well he he's drunk you know he he's he was carrying the gun he was in his own apartment, so he gets charged with the crime having the gun while you're drunk in the apartment he says no 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 you you can't do this i I have an absolute right in, in my home. I mean, th- this is my home. My home is my castle. And if, if I want to have guns and I want to be drunk while I've got the guns, that's my right to do it. I have an absolute right under the Second Amendment to, to do that. Um, he was ultimately, the, the, the trial court didn't buy that. And he got sentenced to um, four months in, in jail. But the sentence was put on hold. He appealed it to the Court of Appeals. He lost. And then the Wisconsin Supreme Court agreed to take the case. Does the consumption of a legal intoxicant, that's it, so you're you're drinking, does that void the guarantee of your right to carry a firearm for the purpose of, of self-defense. He says, I had this gun. It was in my house. The guy, had, one of my roommates, it, it pushed me. And so um, even if I had been drinking, I had the right to have this gun and I shouldn't be charged with it, with any crime. Okay. Interesting case. 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, again, the, the ultimate facts are maybe a little bit more complicated, but that's essentially it. Guy gets into an argument with his his roommate. He He's been drinking. Everybody else has been drinking. He grabs his gun and he's kind of brandishing it. All right. It's his house. Should you, under these circumstances, be able to get away with that? Uh, should the law about uh, being not being allowed to have guns while you're drunk, should that not apply if you're in your own home? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, this is one where I'll tell you where I come down, and I'll tell you what the court did in just a minute. But I'm legitimately curious as to how you feel about this. Essentially, he gets liquored up. He, he's got the gun. He's in his own house. All right. Should he be able to do that? Should the fact that he's in his own house and, and he says, well, I, I, I wanted to use it for self-defense. Does that trump? No pun intended. Does that trump the law against, you know, carrying firearms while you're drunk? Eight five five I'll tell you how this comes down. I'll tell you where I come down. But I want to discuss what's your reaction to this. All right. Should he have been charged? Should he have been convicted? We discuss.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. Okay, so the the issue in, in a nutshell, guy's in his own house, he gets into an argument with his roommate, he's been drinking, the roommate's been drinking, At some point in time, he he grabs a shotgun, goes into his room, he cocks it, um, calls 911. When the police show up, they end up citing him, charging him with a misdemeanor for being drunk while he's brandishing his weapon. He says, no, I'm in my house. Doesn't matter whether I'm drunk or not. I should be able to do this because I, I might need to protect myself. All right, let's discuss this. Let's start with Matt in Oak Creek. Hi, Matt, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. What do you think? I think I think you shouldn't be charged at all, and I think that this would go against some of the rules of the Castle Doctrine in a way that it would imply that even in your own home, you're not allowed to have any alcohol if you legally possess a firearm. You know, how many times do we hear about there's parties or something like that going on and there's some type of disturbance or some type of shooting? You're basically telling the homeowner then that if you've had any alcohol... You cannot use your firearm to protect yourself or your guests.
1: Well, are you telling or we'll- him that? Or, well, wait a second. But well, Let me stop you for a second. Are you telling the person that you can't protect yourself if you've had any alcohol or if you're intoxicated? I mean, as a matter of public policy, whether it's your home or you're not, do you, do you think it's a good idea for somebody who's drunk to be waving around a shotgun in their house?
5: I do not feel that that's the, the best means to do. But if he felt that he was in danger to the point where he felt the need now, granted, his his thought process and his views on it may have been a little bit construed based on his mental state from the alcohol. Right. But if he felt threatened and he's in his own home, I don't see why he should be charged with anything.
1: OK, thanks. The call eight eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the I mortgage talk and text line. Let's talk to John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think that uh, he should be charged, and his, his gun permit should be taken. Uh, should be taken away. I'm a gun holder, and well, I don't drink, so I don't know if there's you know the <laughs> no one that you know speak about it or not. But my thing is this: here, you're not in your right mind. It's like you're sitting behind the wheel of a car, and you and you 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 you, you don't know your name, right? You you, you know you're going to drive your car. It's a simple as mm-hmm. that. You're not in your right mind when you're drinking, so it's like if you're going to drink. Don't drive. If you're gonna be drunk, don't have a gun because you're not you know I mean you got kids in the house and what have you. No, no, that's not right. They should take that permit. The the least they should do is take the take the gun permit.
1: Yeah, okay. Well thanks. Well see it here. I mean you know, of course to you, you don't need a permit to have a gun in, in your own house. You need a permit to to carry a gun, you know, in a concealed carry fashion outside the house, but th- that's where th- this becomes an issue cuz he's in his own house, you don't need a permit to do it. So under normal circumstances, it it it's legal and our first caller was talking about the castle doctrine, and we have a version of that in Wisconsin which says that you can use deadly force to, you know, protect yourself, uh, you know, in, inside your your home. But we also have a statute that says can't carry a gun while you're drunk, while you're intoxicated. So the issue is... All right. If you're drunk in your home, does your right to carry a gun in your house and, and use it for self-defense does that trump? And again, <laughs> does that trump the, the law? Does it render the law meaningless? Meaning you you can get yourself blind drunk in your house and, and then still have your gun. 855-616-1620. six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Rick in Mexico. Hi, Rick. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call.
6: What do you think? Uh, you know, there's there's what. There's, there's two different things. There's what's right, and then there's, there's what's, what's legal. I don't think it's right to be drunk and carrying a gun under, under any circumstances in your house, but in this case, you know, your previous caller made a great point. You know, you shouldn't be drunk and drive a car. However, I can be drunk and drive a car on my own property, and there's nothing illegal with that. So... Um, you know, that that's one point on here. The other point is I, I briefly read a couple of the opinions that were written. I'm not sure if it was Hagedorn's or the, the rest of the majority, mm-hmm. but they pointed towards the right to have a gun as, um, you know, being for law-abiding citizens. Well, the only thing this guy did illegal was possess a gun in their, or illegal in their minds was possess a gun while he was Intoxicated, mm-hmm. so they're using the law as justification for the law, which just seems like a circular well, argument. Okay, well, yeah. let, well I, let me. I disagree with that. Yeah. Okay,
1: well, let me let me stop you there. Let, let's work with something. Okay, l- let's take out let's take out the, the the idea that he was in his house. Would you agree with me that a law that bans people from carrying a gun? While they're drunk is a valid law. So let I me mean, let let's say the guy had a, yes. a concealed carry permit, you know, so I agree with he's, you. OK. So so if he's drunk outside the house with the gun, you don't have a problem with that with the law in that case. Am I correct? Nope, not at all. Okay, so for for your 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 issue then would be that once you're in, as long as you're inside your house, it doesn't matter whether you're you're you, you can get as drunk as you want and wave around the gun. You don't think the gun you don't think the law should apply as long as you're doing that in the house.
6: Correct. Now you said waving around the gun. Now if he's doing something illegal with the gun, charge him on that, not the fact that he's possessing the gun. If he's you know, threatening someone with that gun or something else, yes, to charge them with that,
1: right? But uh, the the threat, but a, the not just the he possession had a gun
6: and being intoxicated. Right.
1: Okay, I all right, agree. okay, I, I, th- no, okay, no, th- and that's and that's what the law says. I mean, the law says possession of a firearm while intoxicated is a, a misdemeanor, and I guess the, the question then becomes: Does the fact that you're in possession? Of a firearm while you're drunk in your house, and 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 by the way, this there's a couple under the law. There's a couple kinds of of possession. There's there's what they call actual possession, which is what this guy did. He he had had the one gun, the handgun in his in his waistband. He he had the shotgun in his hands. And then there's constructive possession. Constructive possession is that you have access to a gun. And I concede that if this charge was based on constructive possession, gee, the guy's in his bedroom and he's drunk and and he's got you know gun case in the living room. He could have had access to it. That, to me, I think, is a different situation. In this case, he actually, you know, had it in his hands. Let me get a couple of texts here. Um, Bob in Sheboygan says, regardless of the court decision, the police did the right thing at the time to calm the situation and prevent a deadly situation with the um, roommate. Jeff, you legally cannot have a drink if you have a concealed carry and have a weapon on you outside of your home. Jeff, as long... um, Let's see, as long as he's the only one present in the house. Well, he, I mean, he wasn't the only one present in the house. And, and his argument was, gee, I felt threatened because my, my roommate and I had gotten in, we'd had a series of these, these arguments. And as a matter of fact, you know, I had the gun in my waistband and he took one gun away from me. So I had this there to, um, defend myself. Interesting argument. The, the way, um, <laughs> if he were a convicted felon in Milwaukee, he, he'd work, he'd walk. Well, yeah, that, that that's the case. This probably wouldn't have even gotten to the charging point. In, in any event, here, here's what the court decided. And in, in Wisconsin, you've got seven members of the state Supreme Court, four are are conservative, three are, are liberal. This was one that did not break down necessarily along those lines. It was six to one. The opinion was written by Chief Justice uh, Annette Ziegler, and she said, look, here here's the deal. Wisconsin doesn't ban ownership of a gun. So this, this doesn't implicate his Second Amendment rights. She says it bans carrying it while in- intoxicated. So... He could have the gun that 's not the problem we 're not saying you couldn 't have it, but you can 't have it while you 're drunk and they said it doesn't make it, it doesn 't make any difference whether you 're in your house or whether it 's out, outside your house to me intellectually that 's the right decision under these facts now, change it around a little like I say if they were they, the guy was drunk and he was in his bedroom, and somebody was trying to charge him and say oh you, you had guns in the kitchen that theoretically you could have accessed." Maybe that makes it a closer case. But in this case, the guy actually had the gun in his physical possession. And I think for most of us, I think most of us would agree that people getting intoxicated and and carrying guns, whether they're in their home or outside their home, is a bad thing. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.